everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers sitting around drinking and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's hosts are John Schmidt, Chaz Brinchley, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 88, Interview with Megan Lloyd. Did you ever wonder what a storyboarder does or how wonder how a script gets from words on paper through to film? There is this magic alien fairyland where words and arts meet and mingle, and we're going to explore it. So welcome, Megan. We're so glad you could join us. Hi, it is my extreme pleasure to be here. You have done a little bit of everything on your site. You've been you've been a storyboard artist for Star Trek Lower Decks, which I love. <laughs> and Me too. <laughs> Puss in Boots. I loved that show. I was reading through the stuff you've done, and I was like, ooh, this is so cool. <laughs> Tell everybody... In your own words, what does a storyboard artist do? So the storyboard artist is really the first wizard on call when it comes to creating movie magic. Um, As a storyboard artist, it's your responsibility to take the script and create the first draft of what the visuals are going to look like on the screen. That makes every storyboard artist kind of like a miniature director for their sequences and their scenes. So as a storyboard artist, I will draw a rough black and white version of the initial acting choices for the characters, where the camera is going to be set up. Um, Sometimes, you know, how is the set going to be designed? Uh, So as a board artist, you have to keep in mind both the acting and the camera work and the pacing of your scene, trying to get over both the information of what's happening and the emotion of how the characters feel about it. From theater experience, um, so you are guiding both the director and the cinematographer to a degree. Do you start from a script or, uh, well, as the first wizard, do you start from a script or do you sometimes generate a script? Where are you in the process between word slinging and image slinging there? So it really depends on the project itself. Sometimes a board artist may be working from script pages, usually you'll have in television, the distinction between two types of animated shows is script-driven and board-driven. And for a script-driven show, you do work from a a finished document. Um, With a board-driven show, you start with an outline and then are responsible for uh, coming up with the dialogue yourself to fill out the 11-minute or 22-minute or actually I've never heard of a 44-minute board-driven show, but a board artist could do it. Um, And then with feature films, it's often the same way. You may be given a scene that's, you know, four to 10 written pages and be like, this is your scene that you have to tackle. Or particularly if, and we'll get a little bit into screenings in a second, if after a screening, uh, the film needs reworking, you may sit down with your film director or the head of the story team to discuss, hey, we need a scene that feels like this, or the fighting in this sequence didn't quite work. We need you to reboard it, but bring a new spin onto it. So the answer is, it depends. <laughs> so you really can end up touching a lot of stories. Like if John were writing a story about black cowboys on a cattle drive north from Texas, you might mm-hmm. take a moment and say, you know, this really is missing a couple scenes here and then draw out the pictures and write a little bit of dialogue. And then you submit it back and say, I think this needs this. And then that goes through again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so the meetings in which we make those sort of decisions are called screenings. So um, working as a storyboard artist for a movie 
and working for a storyboard artist for television each have slightly different schedules, but I'm going to talk about feature film first. Uh, so quick backstory about me. The stuff you see in my IMDb is probably only about 60% of what I've done professionally because I can't add it to my page until it airs. And so a lot of the work I've done since board artists, like I said, are among the first wizards on call. It may be one to five years before the projects I've worked on have made it all the way through the many, many steps and artists and magical places it needs to go before it's a finished project. Oh, gosh. So you have to sit on all of that glee and mirth for years before you get I am on a show right now that I'm, I'm doing freelance. Um, the director, I, I knew the director of this episode and he reached out and said, Hey, I'm doing a new show. Will you come work on it? And I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. I'd, I'd love to work with you. Um, and then in my first day, they're like, what do you know about the show? I'm like, I don't know anything. I just know such and so invited me to be on it. And they're like, Oh, here's the name of the show. And it ended up being this super cool story that I knew about and had no idea I'd said yes to being on that show. So that's very cool. And I can't tell anyone what it is for, oh, I don't know, 15 months. We'll see. Um, We're dying. Uh, I want to ask, is it a question? Is it a book adaptation of something? I can't say anything because Ah. everyone on the internet's a genius and the slightest (laughs) crumb could lead me into a lot of trouble. It's not that we're all going to sit and like obsessively like paste and everything, but that's neat. So it sounds like there's, again, as we keep telling all the would-be writers in the world, networking is huge. Mm -hmm. to keep track of people. Yeah. My, my very first job, sorry, you probably had a question, but I had a thought about how networking had helped me in my life. Do it. Do but, it. Um, <laughs> my very first show that I was on, which was The Adventures of Puss in Boots, I had interviewed for the show months before to be an intern, but hadn't gotten, or, or a story trainee, um, but hadn't gotten the position. However, several months later, when a spot opened up on the storyboard revisionist team, which is like the entry level board artist, but if I get the chance to circle back into screenings, we'll talk about what a revisionist does. Anyway, they had remembered me from that interview and thought, let's let's bring her in, uh, you know, for this job. And then a couple other gigs go by because you don't um, get hired on to a studio. You usually get hired on to a project. And some people will stay project per project per studio. I've had the really incredible luck of being able to, to work several places at this point. But anyway, two or three years later, I was looking for my next job to line up. And it turns out several of the people I'd worked with on the Adventures of Puss in Boots we're starting up a show at DreamWorks called uh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. And they remembered me for my work on the show several years ago and invited me to jump on board as a storyboard artist for that. And here's where I shill that Camp Cretaceous season two is just aired on Netflix. Hey. <laughs> Give it a <laughs> Can I grab a question here? Did you train and did you plan to be a board artist or was it something that just happened to just use the skills that you had developed anyway? No, that was something I very deliberately pursued. So my, my ultimate goal is to be a director for either animated feature films or a showrunner <laughs> for animated television. And I knew that being a board artist was 
basically the skill set that taught you the most about the other departments and also sounded like the most fun to me out of all of the many jobs that go into making an animated project. So when I was eight years old, I'd read this autobiography from Bill Pete, who was a Disney storyboard artist back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, in fact, storyboarding was uh, the way that we basically use it today. Its genesis was at the Walt Disney Studios during that time, because at its core, storyboarding is a way to plan out the film with the least number of materials and man hours before you move on to the more time-consuming and much more expensive aspect of animation. I can so, see that. There's, I mean, there's so much electronics and processing that goes into it. I'm mm -hmm. not going to animate all of the fur on the monster until I know that this is a scene we're actually going to use, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I went to school for animation. Uh, I have a Bachelor's of Fine Arts. But my emphasis was always storyboarding. And it took me about a year uh, after I got out of school. I applied for so many positions and I would make uh, my own storyboards. My, I did get some pretty good internet traction with uh, some storyboards I made of musical numbers from shows I love. So I did stuff from Wicked and I did things from Hamilton. I love um, your Hamilton work. <laughs> we'll put you. it on the page because, wow, it is so cool. Incidentally, that Hamilton board was, you'd messaged me about talking about the Peace Talks trailer, but that Hamilton board was kind of the first domino in what led me to having the opportunity to work on the book trailer for Jim Butcher's Peace Talks. Um, but yeah, so since I've, I've been in the animation industry, I've done kids hand-drawn animation and kids CG animation. I've done comedy. I've done action adventure. I've gotten to be on a few like grown-up shows and it's really exciting. All of the genres of project you have running here in Los Angeles. That is. And it part of it, when I was looking at some of them saying it's sort of almost animated graphic novels. Have you ever just said, mm -hmm. my God, I could be the next Sandman. I could. <laughs> well, that is a different skill set as well. Although there is a lot of crossover between board artists and graphic novelists, but like page layout, especially like speech bubbles and guiding the eye along a novel, like along the pages of a graphic novel, it shares a lot with a film, but it's kind of, book writing is to screenwriting as graphic noveling is to storyboarding. Um, because with books and with graphic novels, the audience gets to control the pace at which they consume the information. Uh, they can go back and reread a page. They can stay on a single illustration for as long as they want. With storyboarding and with live action film and, you know, all this animation, you uh, you're the one in charge of the rate at which information is given to the audience. So if they get lost and they're not supposed to be lost, like, wait, how did that person get over there? Or, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I seem to like that person's clothes have changed, that sort of stuff. If you lose the audience either attention or just make them confused, there's no way for them in a movie theater setting to pause the movie and rewind it. Although it, it, it creates a brand new genre of the fucking with you part of storyboarding <laughs> of here, I'm going to draw me looking into a beer glass. I turn and I say something to my friend and I look back and have a, a sip of my red wine mm -hmm. just to see 
This is the, oh, yes, if you were telling a story of Gaslighting 101. Yeah. That could be funny. Mm -hmm. That could be funny. Serial killer Arthur speaks again. Do not listen to her. (laughs) Have you ever written your own scripts? I mean, end to end, say, look, this is a short and I'm just dying to do it. Have you? I have. Yes. Uh, I've written several shorts. I've written several pilots. Because on my my side hustle is I do pitch my own shows and my own series around town, you know, as the as the saying goes. Because for me, writing was always the easy part and always the fun part, which I guess is why I went to go into art because I wanted a challenge. Don't know why. Um, so it's more like I draw for my work, but I write for fun. So in, in a lot of ways, that gives you the opportunity to all authors kind of see their own character, or at least hear their own character in their heads. You actually have to take that and then give it depth and dimension and costume and looks and physical and you you throw mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's the ultimate show don't tell that we talk about all the time in writing. Mm-hmm. There's so many pieces to it, which is why if you can get a jack of all trades to board your work, that gives a clear direction for your design department, your effects department, your backgrounds, your character designers, your animators, your effects artists. There's so many jobs in animation and filmmaking. There's so many. I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's got to be somebody who just does in the backgrounds, like Camelot, it's only a model, shh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that would be our modeling department. Um, If you're on a computer animated project, the people who actually build all of the assets in the computer, they're called modelers. So you can look at any uh, computer graphic animated show and be like, it's only a model, and you might get a laugh out of your audience. I was struck when I was looking through some of your storyboarding that I found on your website that sometimes the action moves very quickly. You know, here's a guy and he's leaping across. Here's the push off the ground. And then suddenly he's on the on the far side of the of the screen. Mm-hmm. And yet there's some of them where there are two people talking to each other or feeling emotions that you have to draw the same face going through seven different emotions all in a row of I'm happy, mm-hmm. I'm hidden, I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm reflective, I'm resolved, I'm determined. And so how do, how do you just pick those in that order? Do you, do you have the words in your mind or do you really think in the picture images? So I have a mirror on my desk and I will sometimes quietly, sometimes out loud. You can get a lot of funny things that happen in an animation studio. I will act out what I'm about to draw. It's very fun if you know, you're know you in a little cluster of, of board artists because you've got, I don't know, between nine and 12 of you on a team and you hear somebody stand up and say, nobody look at me, this is for reference. And they'll you know pick their leg up and swing it through the air or they'll like limp down the hallway. And so for me, um, I try to act it out myself with my face, with my physical presence. And then I'll try and convey that emotionally. And I watch a lot of live action uh, work, not just animated stuff, but especially like long running dramas that, you know, get all that angst in there and try to capture, okay, what is it about this facial expression that means someone's very sad? Any Sally Fields movie, for instance. Yeah, very sad Um, or, or happy as the case may be. And so on some projects, you have the fortune of running in parallel with the 
voice actors. It depends on where you are in your production timeline. For television, we usually do have recorded versions of our voice actors that we can listen to and be like, oh, there's a, there's a crack in her voice there when she's saying a dramatic line. That might be a moment where I'll have my character like shake their head a little bit as they, as they push themselves forward. Or sometimes it's interesting to do an emotion that feels like it's opposite to what the read is giving you. So if someone is, is yelling angrily and they're very loud, your instinct might be to have them stomping around and waving their arms. But maybe as you listen to that, you can decide, oh, do you know what? The best way to portray this is I want this person standing stock still and just leaning closer and closer as they're screaming louder and louder. So it's really a, a case-by-case basis of, What's the emotion I'm going for for this particular scene? Does it help to see, do you ever get to see like the pictures of the actors as they're standing? I I mean, I've seen a few times like Benedict Mm -hmm. Cumberbatch standing in front of his microphone, sort Mm -hmm. of talking and acting it out through. Is that something that influences your decisions or? So in animation, you really have two people responsible. Nope, I take it back. Three people responsible for the performance of your character. You have the person who's doing the voice, you have the person who designed what they look like, and you have the actual animator themselves who will put in all the real like delicate subtleties down the line. And so it's possible that while Benedict Cumberbatch gives a really great voice for a dragon, um, he doesn't have quite the same physical attributes of a dragon. There's a lot of different pieces of information you have to pull from when you're setting up a really extravagant performance, particularly in animation when you're dealing with fantastical beings and creatures. Like, uh, I understand there was everybody who's ever enjoyed The Adventure Zone, which is a gaming podcast. uh, They are somehow turning what was tabletop gaming into feature films coming up. What's tell us your involvement in that? So my involvement doesn't have anything to do with the show that's currently in development. Four years ago, when the the Adventure Zone had been going for probably, I want to say 40 or 50 episodes at the time, they were interested in having a some kind of a zinger trailer to get more people interested in the podcast because it's it's pretty hard to convince people to listen to 30 hours of a podcast. And at this point they were pushing 70. Um, So I actually reached out because I I saw one of the people in the podcast, Justin McElroy, he mentioned on Twitter that he's like, man, I wish we had a trailer. And I messaged him and I said, are you serious? Because I'm a huge fan. I work with a bunch of huge fans and we would like to turn that into a project. So that official trailer is up on the McElroy family's YouTube channel. Uh, It was a lot of fun. It's hard for me to watch it now because I've grown so much in four years and I'm like, I would have done that differently. But um, we had a really fun crew working on it to make this project in about, I think we had eight months to do the whole thing from start to finish. Yes. So since then, the McElroy family and Carrie Peach is the illustrator. They've made a series of incredible graphic novels that have adapted the podcast. And it's really interesting to see the difference from pure audio format to this still visual format. And right now the show is in development 
I'm not involved in it. Man, I wish I was. It's it's very funny. It I don't know. Reasonable. Um, I mean, if you did the one, they should totally hire you. You know. Well, you know, different different needs for production. Different. <laughs> there's a lot more money coming in, hopefully, from the TV show. So I think they may make different choices. But um, it was very funny. The day that this development deal was announced, it was very much like living through the first few chapters of Pride and Prejudice. When Mrs. Bennett is like, have you heard the Adventure Zone's being made into an animated series at last? And every single artist I knew, just everyone was sharing all their years of fan art, just one after the other, one after the other. So pick me, pick me. Mm -hmm, because when you're at your desk drawing all day long and you're working visually, you can't really watch television. You just have to listen to things and and some people don't listen to music at all some people like to listen to dramas for me it depends on what i'm doing if i'm doing my my planning stages where i'm i'm thinking everything out at once i can't listen to anything or i or else i won't focus but when i'm at the tail end where i know what all my shots look like and now i'm going through them very slowly to clean up my drawings and make them look really nice that's that's the part where i listen to things and so a lot of my friends listen to the adventure zone. That's incredibly neat. Mm-hmm. So where does that go? If you have, if, if you had your wish on a genre, you've clearly done a lot of, with fantasy and the Puss in mm-hmm. And I love that you're, you were involved with a little bit of Star Trek here and there. Do you have a favorite of what would be if you were going to do the feature film or a feature animated film one day? Uh, or are you thinking horror or fantasy or? Well, I'm a simple girl with simple tastes and it's fantasy musicals. <laughs> <laughs> but for have you ever seen tripod versus the dragon i haven't <gasps> i have two things i'm going to introduce you to and you will be delighted is it tripod and is it the dragon <laughs> <laughs> tripod is a musical comedy group out of melbourne australia okay and they do a lot of really fun bits of fantasy and gaming and D, and they did one of a of a musical of playing D, and they performed it at a convention and they filmed mm. it and it's magnificent, and you're going to waste an hour, 20 minutes watching it because it, you're going to have to do the art for it. I can now see it. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is such fun. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But, um, yeah, for me, there is a genre in animation right now that I feel is underutilized, and that's the young adult space. We're, we're getting a few more projects that are middle grade, but there's, there's really nothing that's like The Hunger Games for animation, um, something that's a little bit of an older space that has, you know, violence and a lot more character conflict that you normally see and a bit more of a, a serious undertone. I'm and not I, saying I, I guess would, I could no. think of Watership Down, but I can't. I, you're right. I can't think of anything else that really. Mm-hmm. It's so so would you would you look for, for example, a book, an already published book to adapt or do you want to? generate original content? I would love to generate original content, but if I could pick a series to make, this isn't quite YA, this is this is a bit older. Um, <laughs> my absolute dream project would be Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere universe. Uh-huh. I would love to see that animated, but I'm pretty sure Brandon and his team are set on having it live action, which I mean, you know, I get it. It's fun to be on set with everyone in costume. And you, I'm sure many of the listeners have gone through the Lord of the Rings extended edition behind the scenes featurettes. Like it's fun to have 
a real version of the book you love with like real people up there. But there's something about the unification of style and deliberate design in animation that I love. I think one of the most incredible animated films is DreamWorks' The Prince of Egypt. That was good. That was, that oh, was, it was really good. Great. I oh. have to admit, I also loved Inside Out. Yeah. For yep. just the whole, the gray world, the bright inside world, just the, mm -hmm. the choices that they made really were, I remember thinking that is a, I, it took me out of it because that's a deliberate choice because I was starting to take these ideas apart and say, what, what makes it so powerful is, wow, the San Francisco street looks like a dirty kind of faded San Francisco street, whereas mm -hmm. inner fun land of goofy land, wow, that was all <laughs> kinds of. Yeah. Um, design is a, one of the most incredible aspects of, of animation that I've done, like some stuff in but you can just see a movie where like the production design is so like unified and has such a deliberate voice i think spider-man into the spider-verse is oh. another example of just an outstanding god yes that was project. i think that almost deserved the oscar for best film of the year it was so good agreed um at the time i was working on a, a feature film at another studio and we all went to go see spider-verse together as you know like the, the directors took us as like, hey, we're going to just go see this great movie. And it finished and the credits rolled. And my, my director turned around to look at us all and says, oh, okay, so we all quit now, right? We all just, <laughs> we just stopped no. making movies. No. <laughs> we were like, no, no, we can, we can do it. We did not make Spider-Verse, but it was, it was still really fun. I don't know. I think there's, there's one of two directions when you, when you run into something that's near perfect. Mm -hmm. I suppose you could say, right, I shall never write or do anything again because I can never be that. Or you say, I want to throw myself near the feet of that and see if I can you know, use it to make something more of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the tools of your trade, if you will. I mean, we talk about just plain straight up writing. You might use Microsoft Word or some people use Scrivener. What are storyboarding tools? Introduce us to some new pieces. So originally, so storyboards actually got their name from how they were originally done, which is marker sketches on cards that are just a little bit bigger than an index card. And you would draw them, you know, you would draw them all out and then pin them in order up on a huge, almost like felt board. And then the board artist would take uh, just a pointer and they'd have the rest of the story team sitting there in front of them. And they'd walk through pointing to each board and acting out the entire scene in, in this little pitch meeting. Things have changed since storyboards first started, and most of them are done uh, completely digitally. So there are several different programs. I personally work the most in Storyboard Pro by Toon Boom. It's right there on the tin. But also Photoshop is, is another one that's used. And that choice is usually made by each of the productions. So I draw with a stylus on a very large tablet. Uh, so I have a huge tablet monitor. Um, the one that I use is a Cintiq. And so I'm still like physically moving my arm and my fingers to draw things, um, but I'm using digital brushes. I've used the, the term hand-drawn or computer-animated a lot. It's all done by people. That's just referring to the medium in which they use. So. Right. Yeah. Right, that, that was entirely makes sense of it. And 
if somebody if, if somebody was going to get into it, what would you recommend as their path? Now, you you went to get the BFA. Do, mm-hmm. do all of your peers have a degree in it, or did somebody just annoyingly come up and oh. from the ranks and be good at things? Ooh, or or could they take a class from you like you once offered? Yeah. I don't think they can take a class from me at this point just because of my busyness, but there are a lot of excellent classes that are being offered right now. So I would encourage you to go to Gumroad and search for storyboard classes. Let's see, uh, a lot of board artists I know, especially during this pandemic, have taken to streaming their boards live. So you can look up for storyboard artists on Twitch. Um, If you want to get into storyboarding, you've got the study of it and the practice of it. So the study of it, I would watch films. You can watch animated films. You can watch live action films. You can watch television. You can watch movies. Um, Just find something you really love, but you need to have the ability to pause it because every time the camera changes, you should pause. And then in a, a little rectangle, you draw in your notebook or your sketchbook, no more than two inches long, sketch a very rough version of what you see on the screen. I have sketchbooks that are just, you can actually buy a storyboard thumbnail sketchbook from this company called the Productive Luddite. Uh, I really, I, I love really love the name desperately. <laughs> yeah. And so you hit play and every time the camera angle significantly changes, uh, pause it and then draw a little version of that composition. So you can start building a mental library of what storyboarding is. And then the practice of it, I would take either a short story you wrote, you can follow my route, take a song from a musical you like, pick a passage from a book you love, and try boarding out a simple version of it. So don't worry about making the mouths move. Just draw one or two drawings per camera angle. Don't put speech bubbles next to people, but write the dialogue down below and That's really how you start practicing storyboarding. That is awesome. If somebody said, okay, I've got all that and I've done all that, where do I go next? How does pitching work? Do they, do you find an agent first or did you just Mm -hmm. go start going to the right places? Um, For, for getting a storyboard job, you want to build a dedicated portfolio website that has your best storyboards on it. And then nowadays, almost everything's done online. So you'll find particular studios. You can go to a studio website and see what their open positions are. And you just start applying through there. Um, For pitching projects, for me, I was very lucky because after my first job started, the studio I was at opened an employee pitch program. So I was able to pitch initially at the studio where I worked, and then I started building connections and I was able to bring it elsewhere. Doing that, I did that on my own for a few years first, and then I did eventually get an agent. She's incredible. Her name's Kate, and I love her. And one of the benefits of having an agent, like it is for having an agent if you're writing a book, is they have a much bigger network than you when it comes to Uh, potential places to take your work. So she has also set up a lot of meetings with me to get my things out there. And have I been successful? I can't even tell you because if I had been, it'd be a colossal secret for three more years. (laughs) 
Well, I can see that it would be. And I think you've given for people that are interested in this sort of just drawing and things, there's hope. I mean, you've said there's more than one storyboard artist for any project. You, you describe mm-hmm. a whole team. So it sounds like there's a way that they can get in, wet their feet, pay their dues and improve on the job instead of mm-hmm. just at home. So that's really neat. I'd like to circle way back to the beginning when I talked about what the schedule is like for storyboarding an episode of TV. Yes, definitely. Uh, so the writers have been working on their script between eight to 10 weeks. When it's done, we have a handout meeting with everyone on the storyboard team. So that's usually between two to four storyboard artists, the director of the episode, our storyboard revisionist, the showrunner of the whole shebang um, and representatives from each of the different departments. So design, uh, animation and effects. We all sit down and we read the script together and anyone brings up any particular concerns they have, whether it's for budget, whether it's for a moment in the script that doesn't feel quite right, then we all go our separate ways. And the storyboard artists have about three weeks to do a very rough version. We're talking not quite stick figures, but maybe uh, a couple dimensions graduated up where we still have pretty circular faces, but maybe cubes for the body. Um, and you pitch, you stand up just like the board artists of old with their felt boards and their long pointer sticks. You stand up with a large digital slideshow of your production and you act out as you flip through your entire project and that whole crew that was at the handout meeting they're there too and they give you more notes being like this part's not quite clear this joke was very funny this moment could use a joke and then you go back and you clean it up for three more weeks and at that point the board artist is done with the episode because the next script is barreling down the pipeline so they give their cleaned up boards to the animatic editor the editor puts them together with temporary music sound and any of the recorded voices that we already have and the whole creative team who was involved in the episode up to this point, watch it, give the sort of notes. But at this point, this is where the storyboard revisionists come in and they address the much smaller notes, which can be something like, oh, this character was holding beer in one shot and the next one they're holding red wine. Could we have someone go in and redraw that so it's consistent? (laughs) And maybe it can be a much larger note like, Uh, This happened to me before. The whole fight sequence in the jungle doesn't seem big enough. Can you redo all of that? So as a storyboard revisionist, you're taking on much smaller assignments, just pieces here and there to like polish it all up. You review it as an animatic, I think two or three more times. And then it goes for another six weeks over to the supervising director who does any last minute changes. And then the animatic's locked. That's it. That's all for storyboards, and it gets sent down the pipeline to the animation department. So that being said, that means you can, if you have multiple teams of storyboard artists, you can be working on six episodes at any one time in different states of array, because in feature films, you have a year and a half to craft 90 minutes of story. It's very, I wouldn't say luxurious being a feature film board artist, but there's a lot more time for uh, like discovery and revamping and like polishing up a sequence. In TV, you have your whole episode for six weeks and you've got to move on because an entire feature film, all 90 minutes is done between four to seven years. But a television, a season of television, that's 15 hours of content every single year. So the pacing of the two styles is quite different. And there's things I love about both of them. Like not sleeping, for instance. Yes. And drinking a lot of coffee. Uh, water for me, actually. 
I have a huge jug. I have to consume at least one of every day. So my kidneys will last me until I'm 90. (laughs) Thank you. Because that is huge to help people really understand what it is and how it works. And I think Mm -hmm. now that I watch the next animated movie I'm going to watch, which is going to be one of yours tonight, is watching all of the different, these are all the storyboard artists and the layout. And now I think you can help us really understand what all of that is that goes into making those films. So this is awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, last bit of advice for people who are interested in animation in any context, go to your local library, go to your local bookstore, look up art of books, art of Kung Fu Panda, art of Prince of Egypt, art of Frozen. Um, They are behind the scenes work of a lot of art, design, uh, storyboards, and different technical pieces that you may not see in the final film. But if you love behind the scenes information, you got to find art of books of your favorite animated projects. That's probably where a bunch of people learn to draw in the first place from. So that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We will put links to your podcast and all of the things that we mentioned on our website, which is www.riotersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We answer email. Meg, if somebody asks you a question, uh, can we send it your way and get an answer? Oh, yeah. You should catch me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Awesome. Everybody follow her on Twitter instantly. At Third Child Art, all spelled out one word. Okay. We're going to put it in the links to the podcast notes, too. That's much more effective. Awesome. You've been listening to What Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer is Dave Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our sponsors are Art, Coffee, Chocolate, and Rum. So we love Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene, Hamakua Chocolate Farm, and Maggie's Farm Distillery. I have so much love to give. If anybody wants to compete for my heart, send me a sample. And to all of you out there listening, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. 